James Letter, Faith at Works, Bible Study 4, podcast number 4. <clears throat> Hello, it's Andrew here, and we're going to look today in our podcast at the sin of partiality. So we're going to read together in James chapter 2, and we'll, we'll read together verse 1 to verse number 13. James 2, 1 to 13. I'm reading the New King James Version. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come to your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool, Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who say, do not commit adultery, also say, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We'll just pray. Father, as we look into thy word together, we pray that we might understand it better. We pray even as we consider uh, this really hard-hitting section of James that each one of us might understand um, what we need to adjust in our own lives in order that we're more like the Lord. We leave ourselves in thy presence and pray thy blessing in the Lord's name. Amen. So hello, it's Andrew here, as you you might have gathered. Um <clears throat> We're looking at James still uh, in the home Bible study. We had a lovely time, uh, just a few of us together um, the other evening. And I, I'm quite sure I, I won't be able to convey some of the, the truths as they hit a home to us during that that time together. Nothing uh, in that sense um, of what I can do now can really replicate that. But you will notice about James that James has spoken, practical James has spoken about everyday issues, how to deal with trials, chapter 1, how to pray, chapter 1, how I read the Bible and understand and apply it. Now he's coming into chapter 2 and he's now going to deal with another very practical issue, which is my attitude to other people. And And he deals with it under this idea of partiality or I think the authorized version has it, respect of persons. Favoritism, we might say. Um, 
it is a big issue. It, it affects us far more than we realise it affects us. And perhaps the most solemn thing that comes across from this section as we look at it is that it's spoken of as a sin. And, and James really underlines this as he goes through the verses, that this isn't just simply um, a little thing that is you know can be pushed under the carpet it's not just a a social discord it's not just a, a you know a little issue that maybe we need a little bit of tampering on no no he says listen this is something that needs repented of it is a sin in the sight of god now that is really important that we grasp uh, as we go down the verses but we have to ask yourself the question right at the beginning, what is partiality? If you've got the handout, you'll note uh, on the handout, it's on the, the website, obviously, or in the uh, Dropbox, obviously, you, you'll notice that I have put on it a, a definition of what partiality is. And the definition reads like this. Partiality is a biased judgment based on external circumstances such as rank, wealth or race, disregarding the intrinsic merit of the person involved. So, for example, when Samuel, he saw the nice tall um, son of Jesse coming towards him the, and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Um, he liked the boy and he thought that would be my choice and maybe the Lord's like me but you remember the Lord's response on that occasion for Samuel 6 do not look on his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart now keeping that in mind it helps us as we, as we come to James uh, chapter 2. I, I've quoted a, another little um, quotation and it's down at the bottom of your page, page number 1. Um, it says, Partiality is not a trifling fault, but a foul travesty. And if you forget everything else that we talk about uh, over the next 10, 15 minutes, whatever, don't forget that that is really what this section is going to teach in quite um, a lot of detail. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there's things that we do aren't appropriate. There's, We know that if we see people at times and they don't just fit what we think is the best way they should be, or the more acceptable way we should be, we automatically begin to judge them in our hearts. And that judgment kind of flows on into perhaps our attitude to them. Now, hopefully we'll have caught it on by that stage and we'll have subdued it and, and, and dealt with it in the presence of God and confessed our sin. But there is a real danger that, you know, somebody doesn't fit in with me, doesn't dress the way I want them to dress, doesn't come from my social circle, doesn't come from my race, doesn't come from, um, it might not even be mine, but something or, or some uh, status that I respect comes from that. And therefore, I, I either positively bias towards them in my judgment, 
or if they're not like the way I want them to be, I negatively bias away from them in my judgment. Uh, th- there's a real sense in which we have, we're so inclined to snap judgments about people. And, and I have done it uh, far too much in my own life, so I am in no way um, just speaking about other people when I say this. It happens far too much with me. And really, James recognises this as a problem. And so we're going to see what he does firstly in verse 1 to verse 4. He exposes the sin of partiality. If you turn to page number 2 in the handout, he exposes the sin of partiality. Then he shows not only the sin of partiality exposed, but the senselessness of partiality explained, verse 5 to 7. He's going to show just how really senseless and we might even say daft partiality really is and then he comes down to verse number eight and right to the end i've just termed that under the third major heading um is the scriptures on partiality expounded so the sin of partiality exposed the senselessness of partiality explained and the scriptures on partiality expounded. You'll notice also I've used seven C's under those big main headings. And as we go down, we'll, we'll touch in each one of these C's for a minute or two. So firstly, verse number one. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Now, um, another translation of this, the ESV, puts it like this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now you will notice in in your um, authorised version or your King James version, uh, your New King James version, that there is italics for the word the Lord, the second use of the Lord, the Lord of glory. That means it's not there in the original uh, text. And so really what it says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of glory with partiality now because it's an unusual construction uh, different linguists have looked at the text and they've come up with different ways of putting it some people have supplied this the Lord because they think that both Jesus Christ and of glory flow from that Lord at the start so do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with partiality or others people feel that it's saying this do not hold the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Uh, other people have translated it. Uh, in fact, um, it was mentioned, the French translation was mentioned by, by Helen uh, Henderson. Our Lord Jesus Christ, full of glory with partiality. But again, that full of is, is supplied. But it's to try to give the sense of what's being said. Some people have even said... It's the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory, i.e. capital G, as a name of the Lord, with partiality. Now, now don't let that obscure what's being said here, because you'll notice I've said consistency and Christ. In other words, in one hand, they're holding faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, the the Lord of glory, the, the glorious one. The, the one that, that we value above all others, but they were holding it with respect of persons, with partiality. So in other words, you imagine it. So 
someone comes into the assembly, let's say, and they're really famous, perhaps the Prime Minister sits down beside you, and before long, uh, in the other side of you, someone else, perhaps a great sports figure, let's say, and I'm going back a few years, David Beckham sits down at the other side of you. And there you are sitting in the, the meeting and you have these two extremely um, famous or wealthy people, one on each side. And you're like, what, what? Wow, this is really amazing. I'm sitting between these two really important people. And then you imagine, which is the case, that the Lord suddenly reveals himself in the midst of, the Lord of glory. Do you think you would be thinking of Theresa May or David Beckham or, or whatever? Not at all. Your respective persons would vanish. Because your intent and your focus would be entirely on the greatness and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so at the very beginning he's saying there's a kind of inconsistency here. You've got this respect of persons and you're holding the faith of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ and you're trying to bring them together as though they can live in harmony side by side. They cannot. We cannot have this kind of, this kind of, you know, bias towards people in a, in a, a superficial kind of sense, along with knowing this one who is the most important, the most glorious, and on top of that, what was he like? You see, he came down into this world. He was born in a manger, and an animal's feeding trough. He lived uh, in a poor family. He he was in Nazareth. He, he allowed people to join Nazareth, the name Nazareth, to his name. He was Jesus in Nazarene. And he came from glory right down. So why on earth would we be partial to certain people with social status or those kind of things? So so again, you can see even in the first verse, almost latent in it are these um, contradictions. Do not hold. In fact, the thought behind this is stop holding. Or do not be holding these in a kind of tension. You cannot have respect of persons, partiality, favoritism on the one hand uh, and really be enjoying the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus in the other. So that's firstly consistency and Christ. Secondly, he gives a concrete example because James, you know, he's just such a, he just loves to kind of... Um, bring things down and visualize them for people make them very clear so they know what there's what it's all about so here james he 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 comes up with uh, what's been called the incident of the short-sighted usher there comes into your assembly he uses an interesting word he uses the word for synagogue which dates this as quite an early epistle probably the most early epistle so there comes into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel and there should also come in um, a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the clothes, fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. To the poor man, you stand there. You sit at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves? In fact, that second word for partiality is slightly different. Have you not made differences among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Now that's really interesting because he says there's two problems here. You're making these differences, these distinctions that shouldn't be there. And you're also becoming very judgmental. And your thoughts are evil. The word is actually the more forceful word for evil. Pernicious thoughts. Thoughts that are affecting your attitudes, your actions. And therefore affecting other people. You know, this isn't just someone who thinks, oh, oh, that's odd. Somebody not looking the way I think they should look. But on top of that, it's, oh, well, I'm not going to associate with that person. Or I'm going to show that I'm not like that. Or I want to side up to that person because they look like they're, they're, they're in the right group. I want to belong to that group. So you can see how... He, he he outlines in this concrete example this issue of the rich and the poor and the rich and the poor comes up again and again in J- James' letter. But then he says more. He gives a charge, verse number four. Have you not shown, he's, he's actually asking it in question form, differences among yourselves, distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now he says, just think about that. Sometimes making something into a question makes the person think, he says. That's what you need to remember. That's the problem here. So the consistency with Christ, if you like, the concrete example and the charge. Now, what can we learn from this? First of all, maybe one thing to remember is that we all have preferences and tastes. But they should not make us judgmental. Or partial or respecters of certain people. You imagine someone and they they dress the way you want them to dress. And they say things the way you want them to say things. And they come in and they they just react the way you want them to react in the assembly. And you're like, yeah, they're my kind of people. Oh, I'm going to make sure I give them a special welcome. Yeah, somebody else comes in and, you know, they've got dirty clothes on. That's the thought here, by the way. Um, shabby, some people say, but the actual word is the same word that's used for filthy clothes in Revelation. So, oh, I'm going to turn my nose up. Oh, smell that person. And you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes. Oh, I'll give you a nice place. The other people, no, 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 I don't want anything to do. So the danger is that what begins as, you know, a recognition that they might not have the same preferences or tastes as you, it then becomes a judgmental attitude in your heart and then it leads to how you actually deal with them. So we need to be careful because every one of us does this, my brothers and my sisters, I'm quite sure at some point, I've caught myself doing, you know, and you can have the wrong attitude to people coming in. So, secondly, it is not only with the sin of partiality, which exposed this idea of, of social divisions and all that. Then he goes on to what's called, what I've termed, the senselessness of partiality, which is explained. Right? You'll notice how he does it. Verse 5 to verse number 7. He says, listen, my beloved brother. And he's he's speaking with love to them. Has not God chosen the poor of this world 
to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonoured the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you before the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you're called? You know, you see what he's doing? He's saying, listen, you might not choose the poor person. You might not choose the person with his filthy clothes. And you don't know anything about him anyway. All you know is his external appearance. And you might be passing judgment about him. You don't know what has brought him to the to the assembly. Even if they're kind of flaunting things that you think are wrong and, and so on. Let's remember that God often chooses the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So you have a very superficial, skin deep thinking about this person. Because God often works in the lives of those who are poor and he brings them to faith in Christ and they have a riches in faith if not in outward goods. They are heirs if not heirs of of um kind of outward goods and and and, and rich fathers in this in this life but they're heirs of a kingdom which he promised to those <coughs> who love him. So in other words God chooses them even if you don't. Think of how stupid it is then therefore to treat the poor in a kind of disparaging in a hateful way. Notice something else. He goes on not only with the choice of God in relation to this but he says there's a contrast also with the rich. Now these rich people that you're willing to fawn over and think that they're special and they're, you know, they're the ones with rank and title and dignity or perhaps the right racial group or whatever. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name which you're called? At this time, the rich people were the ones that were doing the oppressing. They were less likely to be responsive to the gospel. And yet here we have it. They're actually bringing the rich people that are more likely to to be um, against them, ultimately. And they're, they're pushing away the poor people that are more likely to be saved. You see, God delights to choose the nothings. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God delights to choose the, th- the things which are not. To set it not the things that are. Uh, not many rich people are called. Not many mighty. Not many noble. Why? Because it's the old thing about God who delights to bless the needy, helpless. To show his glory by bringing something out of nothing. And that's why we should be glorying in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. So... <clears throat> the sin of partiality, the senselessness of partiality. You'll notice just at the end of that section, do not they blaspheme that noble name, that honourable name by which you're called. God has claimed you and he's put his name on you. That's the thought. God has set you apart. He has brought you into his family. These very people that you're promoting 
are often the people that are against the Lord that you love. Verse number 8 to verse number uh, 13. The scriptures on partiality expound it. You'll notice what happens next. If you really fulfill the royal law of scriptures. Now that's a very interesting expression. This word for law for instance is the word that's usually used of, of all the laws together. And that's interesting in itself. Not, not of a single law for instance. However that set aside. What is the royal law? The, the, the kingly law? The king of all laws some people have referred to. Well, it seems to relate to you shall love your neighbour as yourself. You remember the Lord said in Matthew 22 and verse 39, he said that the whole of the law and the prophets hang on these two great principles. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and loving your neighbour as yourself. Now that was not abrogated as we moved into the New Testament. And you can see again and again throughout the epistles that the, the principle that lies behind those two commands are still true and good today. Now, we're not under the law the same way as the Jews were, but we'll see that as we move down. However, he says, the royal law, the, the kingly law, the, this, this law that governs the rest of them almost, one of them is this, that you should love your neighbours as your your neighbour as yourself. Now, do you do that? Do I do that? I want us to stop and pause here. Do you love your neighbour as yourself? I know that I have to hang my head in shame. In this case, he's dealing with partiality, respective persons. He says, what about that person that you ignore because they just don't fit with you? What about that person perhaps who is more affluent or or maybe rich or famous or whatever and they want to come along and they want to be accepted uh, just as a person or maybe they're searching for the Lord and they would happen to come among us and they're treated as though it's the world around them, not the church. They're lauded. They're like, I thought this might be different in here. We should be loving other people as the way we love ourselves. And if we fulfill that law, if we we conclude, if we bring that law to an end in our lives, we do well. We do nobly. In fact, this links back to the noble name. But anyway, that's another thing. But if you show partiality, now notice what he's saying here. He's saying, you commit sin. You commit sin. You're convicted by the law as transgressors. You overstep the boundaries that God has set. He says you're sinning. You might dress it up and make it and just sort of put it. Oh well, everybody does it a little bit, don't they? Uh, we you may try to laugh it off, minimize, generalize all these kind of things. But James is having none of it. He says, listen, if you're doing this, you're sinning. What you need to do when you sin as a believer, you need to confess it and you need to forsake it. And he's saying this has to apply to partiality. This is really solemn, isn't it? When we examine our hearts and our lives, he says, listen, you sin. He says, but you might be saying to yourself, but I mean, like I haven't, I haven't broken the law and like way other people have. 
He says, if you keep the whole law, you stumble at one point, you're guilty. You're guilty of all. You're just still guilty as a lawbreaker. The person who said don't commit adultery also said do not murder. If you commit adultery but you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you're a transgressor of the law. You don't need to break every commandment to make you that. He says you are a transgressor of the law in that sense. You have sinned, as he says further up. So it's really important that we understand this. There's no wiggle room here. This is serious. It's out of order. And that's really what he wants to bring out. Now let's look at the consequence to it all. So speak. And so do as those who will be judged. Not by the law of Moses per se. But by the law of liberty. The law of freedom. Now what's that? Well you see. The danger was with that old external system was that was imposed from outside. Acts chapter 15, James speaks about this, as does Peter. You look at it in your own time. It brought heavy burdens on people. But now, because of regeneration, because in chapter 1 he speaks about the implanted word, and because he has produced, God has produced in hearts a love for him, now if we're governed by that love... If we're governed by that love, these principles of loving and caring and giving, they're actually a way into true freedom. They're not a way under bondage or anything like that. No, it's very different now for us under this new new covenant kind of relationship. Not new covenant as to the way it will be in a future day for Israel, but still new covenant in character that God has written his his commands, his, his, he's implanted us with his word. And so there's a different, there's a change now. We are to speak and to do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, this is very interesting because the way I would summarize it is this. The moral principles outlined by the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount as filling out the meaning of the law. These moral principles. As headed up in loving the Lord your God. And loving your neighbour as yourself. Are not abrogated or set aside in our Christian identity. As you can see by references in many of the epistles. As a code the law of Moses is set aside in the death of Christ. We're not under its condemnation in that sense. But we've got to remember. That much of the moral truth. And the moral teaching of the Old Testament summed up in these two wonderful commands of the Lord are actually very applicable to us today as we see as we go through the New Testament perhaps that's enough to say on that now he goes on and he says for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy now that is interesting because you say to yourself is he speaking about the judgment seat of Christ is he speaking about, how is he speaking about future judgment? Surely uh, John chapter 5 tells us that we'll not come under condemnation, we'll not come under judgment, but are passed from death unto life. All those things are true. He's speaking about the principle of judgment. He doesn't define and splice and dice the way Paul later will uh, in relation to it. But he's saying there's a time coming when we'll all stand before God in judgment. Solemnly, 
if there's been no mercy shown now no mercy is very categorically no mercy an absence of mercy now an absence of mercy in the life of a believer the absence of love as john will write to us in first john is actually telling that there's the absence of life there's no true life if there's no true love but he's going to the extreme and he says if there is no mercy shown by you to other people you cannot expect mercy when you come face to face with God that's very solemn isn't it God makes us accountable for our actions and our attitudes and how we are now for a true believer they will at least show some mercy they won't come into this category as it were But the reason why I take it that way is as we looked at the rest of the chapter, he's going on to speak about faith without works being dead. Some people say they were Christian, say they had faith, but their lives completely contradicted what they said. And so I think that's why he brings it in here. Now, thankfully, we can rejoice in the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment that's the last statement of this first 13 mercy triumphs so keep that in mind god delights in mercy he has been merciful to us remember that that story um of of the, i think it's luke chapter 10 maybe of the 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 man the the debtor i'm not sure whether it's luke 10 it's luke's gospel somewhere the debtor of 500 pence and you remember that occasion actually you know the, the the other i'm thinking of the other story the story where the man owed his his king his lord a, a great de- de- debt and and he was he paid it for him and he went out he'd been freed from all that debt and he went out and he grabbed someone by the throat and said pay me what i owed." we've got to be really careful the lord has shown us great mercy Let's pass that mercy on to others when we're dealing with it. Let's not be skin deep in our judgment. Let's not be snap judgmenty. Let's not be partial. Let's be clear that we're not superficial in how we view people. Tom Constable wrote this. I thought it was nice and I'll just pass it on to you now. And that's the end of the podcast. In modern life, partiality sometimes arises because of differences in economic levels, race, religion, religious preferences, political views, educational backgrounds, and personal opinions, to name a few causes. For Christians, it's sometimes harder to be impartial towards sinners who flaunt their sin than it is to those who acknowledge that they have sinned. However, because Christ died for all, we should reach out to all, as he did, rather than being unfriendly and cliquish. This is true whether the sinners are homosexuals, AIDS patients, the murderers of unborn children, liars, adulterers, thieves, gossips, or gluttons, for example. This reaching out will be an accurate indicator of the extent to which Christ's love controls us i'm just going to repeat that last line i i found it very challenging this reaching out will be an accurate indicator of the extent to which christ's love 
controls us. So, my brothers and sisters, remember the sin of partiality. When you begin to sin in your mind about these things and judge people, come into the presence of God, confess it, forsake it. Try to move away from it because it has blighted Christian testimony from the beginning. And James has given us the key and the answer to it. May the Lord bless his word. Just perhaps we mention a couple of um, examples of partiality in action so that we know what we're talking about. We're talking about the same thing. Um, Amy Carmichael um, in the, well, 150 years ago in Northern Ireland, um, my home country, uh, she set up the Welcome Hall, um, which is more or less about 150 yards away from my, my home. And, and she had one of her key texts that she used was, come one, come all, to the Welcome Hall, Kiwi phrases. Um, but anyway, apart, apart from that, um, the reason why she had to set that up was because a lot of the shawlies that she worked among and had got saved and, and she was trying to teach them how to live in a better way and so on, um, they they would have been the mill workers um, of 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 Belfast at that time, a lower social economic group, um, spoke in a different way than the more you know sophisticated, well off, uh, Presbyterian crowd that came along to the church that she was in. So what happened was there had to be a split, and it was necessitated because of the fact that some people didn't want to turn up and, and be sitting beside a sholly, uh, which is horrible when you put it in this kind of context of this passage. Um, it, it, it resulted in a little, a little um, evangelical outreach from that place that, begin, that began then and, and still continues today in the, in the same place, the Amaria. But anyway, um, that that's just one example of, of where there were like big social uh, and economic divisions, which actually segregated the Lord's people in a way that shouldn't have happened. Uh, another example was given by Helen Henderson, actually on the, um, in the Bible study, um, when she did her work on Montpellier with the um, the, the sex trafficked girls, um exploited and in the country illegally um she was pointing out the fact that when they came along to the local church there that they were attending um that i hope i'm i helen can correct us here if, if i'm wrong the way i'm putting this but but they were from a different race they were the more dark-skinned girls um uh, african background african descent um they would have spoken a different language and often the only clothes they had were the clothes in their back which were usually quite inappropriate because of their you know the background of the the life that they were living and so you imagine someone turning up at church so to speak to use the vernacular and and you they're wearing inappropriate clothes they're from a different race they don't speak your language um and so what happened was there was a kind of social frostiness I think would be fair to say uh, and some people didn't want to get too close just in case you know their 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 you know families might be polluted we need to be really careful about that brothers and sisters um, in the assembly that that we don't 
practice the very thing that James calls us sin here. Um, so that's maybe two good examples just to tag on the end of our thoughts um, about how we really um, should view circumstances and be very careful when we first see someone that we look at them and we try to see their potential in Christ. Imagine someone comes in from the um, sort from a community that's very prominent at the minute and and has marches and so on. You can guess the rest. Um, imagine someone like that comes in and they're are are we willing to extend hospitality, show friendship, love, care? Is that not more like the way the Lord would have dealt with the situation? You look at Luke's gospel. Again and again in Luke's gospel, the Lord is with those who were the social outcasts, where the where the there were on one side those who were very religious and very conservative, and on the other extreme there was the tax collectors, there was the the prostitutes, there were those who were the down and outs, and and you know we've got to be careful that we don't mimic in some ways the way the Pharisees dealt with things and become very isolated from uh, these real life issues but rather we should go into those issues with our eyes open realizing it's the Lord that we want to emulate and he was perfect in everything that he did and we need to pray for that perfection and that holiness and that moral purity to mark us so that people might even be attracted to us from these backgrounds and attracted more importantly to the Lord and to the gospel. Thank you. Sorry for the wee addition.